and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk on Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. This week we're talking about story versus mechanics. Most games do not have any story to them at all, but those games with a strong story element often lack on the gameplay side. Why is this? What games do a good job at merging the two and what games don't do it so well? But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, and the Gift of Games in Grays Lake, Illinois. Also, welcome to our newest patron, Jim Conrad, and thank you to all of our patrons. In case you are wondering, because um, I've had a couple of patrons ask, if you're a patron, you are automatically entered into all of our contests, including the entire 2021 game giveaway that we'll talk about more in a second. Also, um, I want to say hello and thank you to our live audience. If you want to be part of our live audience, that's tabletopgamedoc.com slash live. Or you just go to our website, click live, and that'll give you all the information. Join us 8.30 Central Time on Mondays. Woo. Um, so, Kitty, Fletcher, how is life in the Arctic cold? Literal, I think it's literally Arctic cold, cold right? This <laughs> is coming from the Arctic? <laughs> Last night, our temperature said it was negative zero, which really cracked us up. <laughs> the the, the phone was, was like, it's negative zero right now. <laughs> I wish it were negative zero here. Um, we had like a negative 15. That was the feels like, but uh, I had multiple Diet Cokes explode in my garage. So I brought them in this morning, rinsed them all off and put them on the counter. You talked the about this explode. last week. I know, but they because exploded again I listened this to last week's episode. Because even though I wasn't on it, I listened, and it reminded me that I had to go check my sodas, and I had had several casualties as well. It has been so cold here. Yeah, all the Diet Dr. Pepper I can't get to because it's, like, packed in the back of my garage. So I'm like, well, I'll just deal with that in the spring. (laughs) (laughs) I had one, like, like, you know how there's, like, the top of the can? It, like, completely separated from the rest of the can and, like, shot out. And, like, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Like, these cans, like, destroyed. They have been destroyed. Yeah. 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 I've had – I I really want to, like – put a slow motion camera on these things because i think when they explode it'd be really fun to watch but i'll have them split at the seams or just split on mm-hmm. both sides so the top and bottom both shoot off simultaneously i don't even know how that happens like it's it's amazing but that is inside of our garage this is what's happening it's yeah that's on my cold. porch yeah oh yeah your yours i think yours is a little bit more exposed to the cold but it's, it's hard though because it also gets um greenhouse effect because it's all glass so it gets actually pretty warm in there during the day yeah but it gets very cold at night it's not as insulated (laughs) warm is a relative term these days right (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah there's also a crack in one of the doors that we didn't notice it was like the teeniest tiniest crack but with all this blowing snow there's like a pile of snow in front of that little like centimeter big crack in the door (laughs) I've had my breakers blow almost two or three times <laughs> a day as multiple space heaters turn on at the same time. So I'm like, uh huh, yeah, which is in my office. So I, I actually got a UPS, which is an uninterruptible power supply for those who wonder if that's a delivery system. It is not. Um, well, it's a power delivery system. But anyway, I got this once, I don't know, last year when the power went out and I was frustrated because I don't use a laptop. And it is really putting in work for me right now because this thing is constantly beeping at me saying, hey, power went out again. I'm like, fine, I'll go down and fix it. But good times. Um, So, yeah, uh, we should talk about the contest real quick. 
we did not, Joe Hoover did not respond to us within the allotted two weeks. So Joe, if you're listening to this in the future or our past, your future, if you're listening to this at some point, um, reach out to me. We'll talk. You are back in the drawing, so you could win again. Um, but yeah, just just ping me and be like, uh, I was behind because, you know, pandemic and people don't listen to podcasts anymore. Um, but we will have no another drawing <laughs> for Joe's prize. And we're going to have a drawing for a new one. And those will both happen next week. So stay tuned. If you haven't listened, you can do that and come in. And did I say watch our podcast? Because I don't know. Um, let's see. What else is going on? Well, if you watch the podcast, you wouldn't have to listen to it, and you'd find out right away. <laughs> That's fair. All right. Let's see. Oh, something. Uh, Sydney is going to be on a podcast next week, or this week? I think it's probably this week. I is think it going to be this podcast. one? It is not going to be this one. Um, <laughs> it is a podcast, a Keyforge podcast called Help from Future Self, which is named after a Keyforge card. She got into the Premier Keyforge Premier League, which is a, a, a kind of an independently run, um, fan run league. And she's one of two girls in the league. And they wanted to do an interview with her on Help from Future Self. So she will be there. Um, I'm going to remind you guys next week, too, because she'll get a kick out of you guys all listening. And she hasn't been on this episode, this podcast for a while. So I think if you are new to the podcast and you want to hear Sydney, who is my wife, um, then you'll just have to go over to the Help from Future Self podcast, which is a short podcast. So even if you don't know Keyforge, it'll still be fun. All right. Let's talk about words for a moment. Because Kitty made me edit the intro. <laughs> I I did make you edit the intro because you don't read the intro. I read the intro. So if you want to make a point, I am not your sock puppet. <laughs> you can't just make me say things. Sometimes I can. But... <laughs> That's why I started reading the podcast notes ahead of time. <laughs> so I don't accidentally end up in that situation again. <laughs> Uh, good times. So I just I want to do a quick blurb about mechanics versus mechanisms because there are people out there that that is a trigger word for them. If you say mechanism, if you say mechanic instead of mechanism, they get upset. I am using these words interchangeably. We'll probably use the words interchangeably here. Um, everyone has their thing. The current one going around the internet sphere is decimate. Um, stop using decimate to mean destroy things when it really just means move the decimal place or something like that. I don't know. I don't care. Mine is literally, I literally hate when people use literally incorrectly, and it figuratively drives me crazy. So I get it. Um <laughs> Forgive us. We'll 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 do our best to to uh, make everyone happy. And don't worry, this is not going to be a definition about words. What we're really talking about is story in games versus the elements that make it a game. Um, and that sounds. <laughs> I mean, a game versus a book, right? Versus a choose your own adventure. Sure. Okay. Does that make sense? Kind of. I would say maybe like game elements. Story versus, like, gameplay? Sure. Yeah. Well, and the reason this came up, and I'm going to use a game that we've all played, um, some of us more than others, Gloomhaven. It has been said by multiple people, um, possibly myself included, that Gloomhaven has a nice branching story, but the story is barely there. It It's kind of pasted in to make all the encounters 
makes sense. It doesn't really, there's nothing super compelling about the story. It's not like, oh, I can't wait to find out what happens next. It is simply, oh, now there's two options open to me. I can go help these guys or help those guys. Great. And I make those decisions. Whereas the mechanics of Gloomhaven are really quite compelling. They're like very engaging and you don't care how good the story is. You just want to keep playing these characters and building up these characters. And when they retire, again, for arbitrary story reasons, you you miss these characters, not necessarily because of the story behind them, but because you've invested so much time into the, into developing those characters. That's the story aspect or the mechanic aspect of things. Um, on the story aspect... You could look at something like um, a game I don't think any of us have played, but a game that's getting a lot of criticism on the mechanism side of things, and that's Etherfields, which is an Awakened Realms game. And that one has a very strong story, but according to people who have played it more than a dozen or so hours, the gameplay can get super repetitive and doesn't stay interesting. So that's kind of those that end-to-end... You know, the extremes of it. Now, I'm not talking about games that don't have story. Um, Euro games, yes. There's a theme possibly to the games. Most games have a theme, but they don't have like a story to them. So that's really what we're kind of getting at here. Um, So thoughts on that. Kitty, your favorite game that tells a story. So I guess I have a couple of different thoughts here. And um, the obvious choice of game that we played that kind of has a story that you tell is Pandemic Legacy. Season one is the one that we played all the way through. We had a great time and you unlocked story elements through the gameplay. And I thought that this one balanced it really well. Um, But, you know, there's also like, I think we're kind of talking mostly about like scenario based games almost. They can be scenario or campaign. Um, actually, there's a whole, even unlock series, like escape rooms in a box can be, you know, the story can be strong, but the mechanics could be weak or things like that. There's a lot, there's, there's a lot that this covers. Like adding story to a game isn't really limited to a particular type of game these days. Yeah. So a game that also popped into my mind, or do we want to have somebody else get to turn first? <laughs> no, go ahead. Fletcher's <laughs> researching his thoughts right now. <laughs> so um, another game that popped into my head that I'm not sure where it falls on the spectrum is Above and Below. And in that game, you get these kind of like story paragraphs that you read when you take certain actions, whenever you... Uh, reach a location kind of a th- I don't even remember this game very well oh my gosh it's been so long <laughs> nobody will play it with me because I'm the only one who liked it <laughs> but I really liked it but you get these paragraphs and you get to make choices based on the story and then you roll dice to see if you succeed or fail and what the results of that choice are based on these story paragraphs and there's kind of fun little stuff that happens mechanically based on the choices you make in the story and your success or failure of your role. Yeah. That's a good one to bring up because that one, you can actually watch this progression that we're talking about. So in above and below there were, there's, it's mostly a game, but you can do an exploration Mm -hmm. thing and you read a paragraph and make a choice, and it's a mechanical reward. There is no story conclusion in Above and Below. 
Near and Far now actually has a continuing storyline based. You can have it per character, per group. You know, there's there's an ongoing story. Mm-hmm. You read the paragraph, you make a choice, and you actually hear the story of what happens next. And then now, um, it's not on Kickstarter yet, but it soon will be, I believe, is um, Now or Never, which is the third in that trilogy. But Sleeping Gods just came out, also a Ryan Lockett game, in not in the same universe, but all of his stuff is really kind of in the same universe. And that one is a, <laughs> an actual story-based game. Um, so in his Ryan Lockett's games are usually pretty gameplay tight. Uh, but I would say that above and below, even though I really liked it and I really liked it for the little story paragraphs, I never played that game without making up a conclusion to these stories because it, the game didn't include so, it. So the game includes like it finishes the story of the paragraph. So like, but they're only paragraph long stories. So it would be something like you find a person who is, you know, mining for these gems. Do you try to like kill them and steal the gems or do you barter with them to buy the gems or something along those lines? And it goes from like, it feels very episodic. Like if it was a TV show, like each week you'd get a 22 minute episode where the ending is wrapped up neatly in a bow. Like they're not overarching series. Yeah. It's it's just little snippets of a story. Yeah. You're actually thinking near and far near and far. It does that above and below. There's no conclusion. No, you totally get a conclusion based on your die roll. You get a reward. I'm telling you, you get, but it tells you like, I thought it gave you like a little bit like you succeed in murdering the guy and you gain his crystals. It's not like a fun, some of them were more story and some of them were less story. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I haven't played Above and Below in a while, but in my recollection is it's literally just here's your mechanical reward um, and near and far does what you are saying. But near and far definitely has more, but it also has like the thread continuing at least a little bit like week to week. You, you know, there's still a more episodic feel to the mechanics, but you, you do get like a thread continuing through. Yeah. So, and then, so let's look at near and far for a moment. Uh, For those who have not played near and far, it is kind of a storybook game. Uh, You're going to play on a particular map. And you open up a spiral-bound book that has the map at the bottom and a town at the top. And you're going to take actions that essentially power up your adventurers so your adventurers can go out on this map and go deeper in to find story elements. Literally, little story tokens are sitting on the map. Um, you're going to have to roll <laughs> skill tests and things like this. The game itself um, – and Kitty, I know it's been a long time that we've played this. Yes, it has. But <laughs> the game itself versus – the desire to want to play it for the story. Just in your mind, would you want to play this game again because you were really drawn to the me- mechanisms or mechanics of the game, the gameplay of the game, or is it because you like the story blurbs of the game? So I don't know if I played this one enough to make that choice because I think what I wanted to play it more for was because I really liked Above and Below. And I do think I liked the gameplay of Above and Below. It was more than just the story blurbs. The story blurbs were great, but I also liked the game. And Near and Far had a similar feel, but it felt like I had to play more to build up to more stuff. 
and I never really got far enough into the game to know if I enjoyed it that much or if I was just kind of playing off the I want to like this because I liked Above and Below. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually I'm on the fence. I like Above and Below because of the story blurbs. The gameplay wasn't bad, but the story blurbs are what made me keep coming back. Definitely, the the story was better than the gameplay, but the gameplay wasn't bad. I'm not sure it was good, but it wasn't bad. Does that make yeah. sense? I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and and the thing is, the so Sleeping Gods again in his in his line of things, just to keep it in Ryan's ballpark for a little while. I am very <laughs> upset that I did not back this game, and. It makes me sad that now I have to track it down. But I don't think he has any major exclusives <laughs> or anything like that. But I'm going to track this down because that game, which is very story-driven, it is basically a story game, um, I want to get because of the story. Fletcher, before we move on, I want to ask you, are there any games that are super story-centric that the story is what makes you keep coming back? D&D doesn't count. Oh, man. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Actually, you know something? No, no, no. Well, like, if you don't have anything else, talk of D&D, because that is actually a pretty good example as well. We're not going to get deep into role-playing, but it's worth mentioning in in that regard. Like, is the – if you want to talk about D&D, is it the mechanisms of the game that draw you to it, or is it the story of the game that draws you to it? Uh, well, I mean, overall, I am a mechanism kind of person, um, so I really like the mechanics of the game and same thing with gloomhaven um i would say that probably the story element of D, like per particular campaign is super interesting to me like the campaign that we're playing right now for example um but i was trying to think like besides D, like what other games are out there that i play because of the story like i'm really invested in the story and i can't think of one unless you count like a choose your own adventure novel as a game which I don't unless there's a character sheet. Yeah. I mean, there's no character sheet. But you make choices. I'm really excited about this one that I backed. I'm going to have to pull it up now. Which is a choose I your own adventure a with a character weeks ago. sheet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, it's like right. a... Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> so, Fletcher, so, what about Kingdom Death Monster? So, the people who I know who play Kingdom Death Monster are... When they talk about the game, to me, they talk about what happened to their characters they don't talk to me about like oh this cool item they got and this you know lucky die roll that happened or whatever to you I is guess... that a story game is that what compels you or is it really just like the combat system that draws you to that as well i mean to me there's not so i haven't played a lot of kingdom death monster because it's very big and it's very complicated and if i had to pick two big complicated games that i wanted to play i would pick gloomhaven so gloomhaven wins right um, <laughs> but I have played, um, the kingdom of death monsters I have played. It seems like those, those elements are, are actually pretty interesting and, and they are fun, but they're not so much like store. I mean, this is not story that is given to you by the board game. It's just kind of like happens naturally through choices that you make and then die rolls that you make. Yeah. It's just like die rolls that you make. It, it's, I don't I don't know how to explain it. It's not like you're it's not like you're turning to a particular page in the book to read like what's going to happen next. It's like no, you're going on these hunts. You become connected with these characters and you play with them 
uh, you play with the characters that you want to, that that you want to, and because you think that they're going to have your, the best chance, best chance to succeed on a hunt, um, and you grow attached to them, and then when they die, they're they're just like dead, um, and it's disappointing, and it creates like a, a narrative element to like, what you're trying to accomplish. But I don't know if I'd I'd call that like story so much. Yeah, I would agree with you. And again, I've only played it once. The battle system in Kingdom of Death Monster is interesting. Um, the AI system and how that all works is interesting. I feel the story is just die rolls, and then it emerges from what you want that story to tell. If, you know, I have uh, some really close friends that it's their favorite game ever. They dropped $1,500 on the last, you know, pledge manager that opened up. And they love the whole random element of things, and they name the characters after people they know, so they can actually, they get attached to these characters and it becomes a story that's being told with people they know. For me, there's no, it's just, I, I can't get past the fact that it's like, well, it's just sort of random elements happening. There's not like a cohesive story that goes there. That's not to say the game is bad. Um, for, it's just too cumbersome and too expensive for, and that's saying something, uh, for my taste. But I wouldn't buy Kingdom Death Monster for the story. I might buy it for the group of people I can play with and the story that we can create with it though. Yeah. If that makes sense. I mean that, that, that is interesting because a, a lot of, a lot of the story is you kind of like unlocking the town and getting enough people and, and it kind of unlocks little events that give you a blurb. And it's like, Oh, now you can, now you, ha- you get the bone Smith in your town because you know, a, B and C happened. And now you have like another vendor that you can go visit to like upgrade your stuff with and like the scraps that you get you can you can do different things with that now so you kind of develop a story in that way but there there's not a, at least from what i've seen like there's not a lot of like overarching story yeah now it's not, um jonathan yeah, asks not narrative driven <laughs> yeah so jonathan asks in chat um he's like would you say that most story driven games have a layer of role-playing game like a role-playing game aspect to it um he specifically says rpg in a box <sighs> I would say maybe most, yes, but certainly not all. Because even like if you look at Can Pandemic you? Legacy, there That's is true. a role-playing game aspect to that, right? You're creating a character. You're following this character. Twists and turns are going to happen. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like a role-playing game in a box. Um, it, it, it feels like you're playing Pandemic with extra steps, which <laughs> I really like because Chris will play it with me. <laughs> yeah. um, it doesn't feel like... Like Gloomhaven, it was, it felt like, oh yeah, I see how this is so close to an RPG. This feels like D&D. We've got this map, we have these monsters. Yeah, the battle mechanics are completely different than D&D. You know, there's no die set, you have cards instead. But it, like, you could walk into the room and without looking too closely, be like, you're either playing one of these two things and they're pretty close table presence but pandemic you could walk in the room and be like oh you're either playing pandemic or pandemic legacy no one would confuse that with an rpg yeah i would agree i think that pandemic legacy again one of the strongest um you know if we're looking at the top 10 games on bgg it's one of the strongest story driven games and i would say it's very minimal in the rpg elements short of you can add new abilities to your character. But since so many board games do that, I don't know that that like pops it into the role-playing game side. Also, there's no random rolling. 
your characters can just do what their characters say they can do. It's more of an action selection mm-hmm. game than it is a, you know, roll to resolve, which is when I when I think of role playing game in a box, I think roll to resolve. And as much as people want to say Gloomhaven is not roll to resolve, it's still roll to resolve. Um, you just have <laughs> a lot more control over that roll because it's it's a deck of cards that you're manipulating versus dice that you're manipulating. Um, I also think like games like Mari Cabo. So Great Western Trail and Mari Cabo, designed by the same person, Great Western Trail has a loose Western theme to it. And by I say loose because there's no story to it. It's just, you know, it's cattle and trains and stuff. Um, it is one of my favorite games, so I'm not trying to be derogatory in any way, shape, or form. Mari Cabo has a very similar feel to Great Western Trail. And this game has actually built in a campaign story into this Euro game. It is not in any way a role-playing game. It is literally just the different things that you can accomplish inside of your Euro game will advance the storylines and let you keep flipping up cards to know what's going on next. I think the main difference between RPG stories and non-RPG stories are games that are either linear, like that story is going to be revealed to you no matter what you do, i.e. Pandemic Legacy, or branching that where the story will vary depending on your choices, i.e. Gloomhaven. But story itself doesn't necessarily make it an RPG in the box. Um, as games like, you know, all of the Plaid Hat um, adventure book games, you're going to go through every one of those scenarios and you're going to go through them in a linear fashion and you're going to get a story told to you, but it doesn't really affect too much on what you what you do. That story is still going to happen. Now, are you playing that game because you want the story told to you, are you playing that game because you really like moving around a gridded storybook and fighting off button monster? It could be either. And I don't, that's, that's sort of, it's sort of, we're going to get to the reason why I picked this topic in the first place in, in a minute. Um, but uh, we did have a question in chat regarding Betrayal Legacy. And I'm curious, uh, first of all, Fletcher, have you played Betrayal? Uh, yes, I have. Okay. Um, I have it. This so, wasn't a question in the chat. This was me. I, it was or did you, somebody else ask it and I missed some, it? Someone else had mentioned it as well. Um, okay. but, so Kitty <laughs> mentioned Betrayal Legacy. Actually, it was uh, Jonathan again. Um, and I'm just oh, going to okay. say Betrayal in general. Betrayal on House on the Hill, whatever version you're in, there is a story there. Do you play the game That's because true. of the story? Or do you play it because that, you know, you want to be the traitor and want to destroy everyone else. Like, why do you play Betrayal? Why do you, why do people keep coming back to this game that's been around forever? But you don't know the story that you're going to get when you start out, typically. Mm-hmm. So right. if you're playing it for the story, you might be disappointed uh, for a particular <laughs> story. But you might just like the theme in general. So Darren I says he plays played it very both. much... <laughs> I hadn't played it very much as a standalone game until we started playing Betrayal Legacy. And I really like the story of Betrayal Legacy. I think it's been really fun. And I think it does a really good job of bridging that kind of episodic feel with an overarching story where like the scenario you play is random. So you can't tell like a linear story each, you know, game you play the the way it plays out you know like they haven't set it up the way pandemic legacy has been set like they know you're going to do these things in these games of pandemic legacy but betrayal legacy it doesn't have that same linear story it has more of this like 
organic feel to it, which can be really, really fun. And I think that the story works because even someone who has lost every single time, Chris, <laughs> I have lost still has time. fun and likes to play it. Yeah, I think and that, that that must mean something. That must mean that there's story there to play. Because like, if you lost a game every time that didn't have a story element drawing you back, why would you keep playing that game? Um, if the mechanics were very, very compelling, sure, I I might come back. But I think what you're hitting on is a point that it. I don't want to say it doesn't matter mechanics versus story, but let's look at let's separate them for the moment <laughs> and say what does story do? Why add a story to a board game at all? This is a relatively recent phenomenon. You know, I mean, honestly, if you go back five years and well, if you cut off the last five years and then go back before then, it is very hard to find a game that is trying to tell a story. Uh, Betrayal actually being the exception to that rule because that one's been around for almost twenty years now. But board games were essentially. Okay, here's this rule system. Ready, go. Fight each other and try to win. I think what a story does more than anything else is keep you coming back to playing that game. You know, imagine Monopoly Legacy. And it would be atrocious to think that there isn't going to be a Monopoly Legacy. Um, I am actually just surprised that (laughs) it's not already out there. Jonathan mentions Mice vs. Mystics in 2012. Fine. Go back 10 years. 10 years. Before 10 years ago, there was no story in games. <laughs> but if you go if you go Mice or uh, Monopoly Legacy, that game is terrible, right? I mean, to us, to gamers, to the, the wide open world, it isn't. And when you look at Risk Legacy, that started introducing a storyline into a game that had been around for decades. And people were blown away by this concept that, wait a minute, when I play the game again, it's different? And that draws people in to wanting to play it again and again and again, because it's not the exact same game, but it's similar enough that you don't have to relearn a new game, but you get to discover something new each time you play it. And I think that that is what makes games that have story, that gives them kind of a pass. It doesn't have to have a perfect mechanical system, and it doesn't have to have a perfect story. It just has to have one of them good enough where the other one is compelling enough to keep coming back to. Yeah, it can't completely just be like, this is a group storytelling event. I mean, there are things like that. And if you enjoy that, great. But it's not really a board game feel. If it's just like we all sit around the table and tell the story. It, but also, you there are games that it's just like there's no story to it, but it's when they find the balance together that I think they're the most compelling. That one can carry the other a little bit, but I, I Both guess sides can't suck. Story though. can carry, yeah, yeah. Story can carry weaker mechanics a little bit, but I don't know where I was going. I lost the train. <laughs> I think no. I think you. I'm sorry, you everybody. Head. Um, and again, yeah. this I'm is, working on it. Yeah, this comes to, so I think one of the reasons why I, well, actually the reason why this topic bounced to my head was because someone had mentioned that Gloomhaven is really weak on the story. And I never really thought about that before. As soon as I heard it, I'm like, yeah, the story is pretty weak in Gloomhaven. That's not to say I don't love the story cards, like the um, the road cards and all those things, I, that I don't love making the decisions. But ultimately, the story is simply there so I can have a decision. 90% of the game, and I think I mean that literally without using it in a figurative way, 
is the tactical aspect of that game. So I'm like, yeah, the story isn't like super groundbreaking or anything like that, but I still love the game. And without the story, I don't know that I would keep coming back and playing the game for over 150 hours. Like that story had to exist to make it something interesting to keep coming back to. Yeah, I can see that. I think this is definitely provable because you have conclusively, you don't play Pandemic. Yeah. Like ever. Nope. But we played all the way through Pandemic Legacy Season 1, and the only reason we didn't finish Season 2 is because we moved like hours apart from each other. Yeah. And also... And not just because of the Paris argument. Um, <laughs> That's in the vault. <laughs> Chris, how many times have you broken out and just... Because you can play um, Gloomhaven with just like a dungeon builder. You can you can just use it as a dungeon builder if you want to. Have you ever Not done a that? single time ever. I've looked at it. I'm like, oh, look, I can make this a dungeon builder. Why would anyone do this? There's a hundred scenarios in the box with another like 50 that you can download for free. Then there's Frosthaven. Then there's um, Jaws of the Lion. I'm like, why would anyone waste their time with a random dungeon? Like it made no sense to me whatsoever. Yeah. So I want to bring something up um, that I can't believe you haven't yet, Chris. And that is Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> you mean Cthulhu Death I May Die? I feel like you you fatted Cthulhu. Oh yeah, Call of Cthulhu is the board or the role playing game. Yep. Cthulhu Death May Die, the one that you like binged on hard for a yep. while there. Did you get through all the story elements and then stop? Um. So this, and I was going to bring it up, but I'm glad <laughs> that you brought it up. So Cthulhu Death May Die, which will probably be in my top five games of all time. One of these days, I'm actually going to do a a Chris's top 100 um, just because I think it'd be an interesting exercise. I'm pretty sure that Cthulhu Death May Die will be in the top five of that list. There are two reasons for it and I didn't realize it was going to be and it's very, very strongly related to the story aspect of things. When I first heard about Cthulhu Death May Die and many other people were in the same boat, we saw Eric Lang and Rob Davio and we're like, wait a minute, this isn't a campaign game? This is absurd. How can this be good? You're making a standalone scenario game. This is this is so dumb. You guys are known for your campaigns. You're known for your <laughs> story reveals. Why would you ever do this? I am so glad they did this because I can pull out a particular scenario. The the blurb of the scenario is a paragraph and that's it's a short paragraph at that. But it sets the scene for what's going on and the scenario mechanisms themselves are so tied to that theme that when I play something with this scenario, with this Elder God, it feels like its own standalone episode. So why did I stop playing it? Um, mostly because we had we all got together and we had played almost every scenario and then we played the giant scenario and we beat that. And since we beat him, which we had to have like six attempts at, we haven't gone back and played it again because <laughs> other things show up. But I will put that on the table at any time because there's no ongoing st- story. There's just these standalone stories. And it's so easy to get those to the table. I love it in so many ways. But if there was no story at all, that game would fall flat. Because even though there's not an ongoing story, the story ties into what you're actually doing and everything feels different. And every combination of the scenario story and the elder one that goes along with it feels different. I love it. I love it so much. And Jonathan, I just read the first line of this four 
line thing. And it starts out with Cthulhu Death May Die is so bloated, dot, 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 as a board game. And in theory, shouldn't work. But it does, and no one can really explain why. Madness. Which is true. <laughs> I'm glad it went that way, Jonathan, because I hadn't read the whole thing. And I was just going to call you out right right, on the, right as we were reading. But it's insane that it is so good. I don't understand. I don't understand why it is so good. And Kitty, I don't think you've played it with me yet, have you? No, I have not. Ah, you're going to love this um, game. As soon as we can like be together without kids. It's not the pandemic that's holding us apart. It's like having two, well, four kids Honestly, under it's, three. <laughs> it's partially the pandemic because I can't hire a babysitter. Yes. And my family is stinky. <laughs> yeah. Well, you um, just have to, you know, look on the bright side. Just wait another, you know, 17 and a half years and... It'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll pull hey, it off the shelf. I think it's that good. Give it another like 12 years and my kid will play games with me, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Or I'll just send him to the basement where he can be like, Mom, you're such a nerd with your games or whatever. Go play your PS7. Mom, I'm playing Get out Fortnite of my hair. 3. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go play sports, Mom. You don't understand me. Yeah. Uh, so, in a completely back onto topic kind of a thing. Um, there is another category of games that this brought up for me, which is games that don't actually have a story element, but can sometimes feel like they have a story to them. And I would put Battlestar Galactica, the game in this category, as well as Dead of Winter. Uh, what are some other good Battleship. ones? Games where... <laughs> hey battleship made they made a movie out of battleship that's true <laughs> I, they did i'm probably the only person on the planet movie, that liked if we it. haven't talked about that before that's a whole thing um but yeah there are games Connect where four. <laughs> guess who Stop. <laughs> actually guess who could fall into this category i see where you're going with this clue clue even there are games that you play where it has no written story element to it, but it feels after you play the game like you wrote a story. Yes. Yeah. So this is this is where we're talking about the immersion story. And I think Kingdom Death Monster falls into this. Kingdom Death Monster doesn't try to yeah. tell you a story. It tries to create a story for your group. It just does it in a really long it and depressing way. It creates a yucky story that I'm not interested in is my sure. problem with that game. <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but I mean, like, but BSG creates these stories that are, you just, you talk about them afterwards. And, and a lot of social deduction games will do this. Now, immersion story games, we could probably have an entire episode on those by themselves. But I would say that there is, like, you know, are you a werewolf? If you just play the straight-up vanilla edition of Are You a Werewolf? 15 people, two werewolves, and a seer. The mechanics of that game are practically non-existent. But the fans of that game are diehard because of the stories that come out of it. So they're legit. It's, I you, think it's a little different. You can do it. Yeah. Because it really depends on the people you're playing with there. Yeah. That is like the people carrying the story. But I think Battlestar Galactica does a much better job of like the mechanics feed into the story element a little bit more. And I think this plays into my dislike of the pure social deduction games versus the more deduction heavy, yeah. <laughs> like the, the mechanical deduction. And I think the mechanical deduction games still really lend themselves to 
this story feel without having to have the players carry the story. So something like Lightning Steve, who's in our audience tonight, is named Lightning Steve because of Burke's Gambit, a game that we played that created this story where none of the things that happened should have happened by luck or odds or anything, (laughs) but it created this, like story in our heads of like how could this improbable thing have actually happened and it, it's it, i think the emor- emergent story can be tied into the told story and i think that's where like there's this really magical thing that happens where well, pandemic legacy sticks out so much because there is emergent story that builds into the story that they are telling and your story becomes part of the mechanical story. I don't know how to describe it. What you're getting at essentially is so, and we've talked about, you know, lots of story, light on mechanics, lots of mechanics, light on story, but then you're talking about, and you know, BSG and the social deduction games aren't necessarily, they're, they're more of emergent story games, but the point I think is when the story and the and the mechanics or the mechanisms come together and the mechanisms help tell the story, that's where you get games that are just like so compelling that you want to keep playing them. The mechanisms themselves disappear because you're only yeah. there for the story and it doesn't matter what those mechanisms are. They feed into it and <laughs> make it better. Putting a sticker on a board. I'm sorry if that was bad audio because I got so excited I hit my table. <laughs> like, seriously, me and Chris got into like an hour-long discussion about where to put a sticker. That was it. That was the mechanism. The mechanism was pick a sticker to put on the board. And like... That shouldn't make that Kitty, big of a fight. I don't think any of our we listeners could possibly think that you and I would argue about something for an hour. Like it, that's yeah, just, never. It's so out of character. I know. We're always so agreeable. So, but yes, right. I think those those mechanisms that feel important because of the story that you are helping create that those. They don't have to be complicated or fancy or feel perfectly balanced even. They just have to make sense within the story. Yeah. So there are three games that I have just touched on. Um, well, like, I haven't talked about them yet, but I'm, I'm they're on my table. Um, <laughs> well, two on my table and one that's going to be coming. And the reason I got them, I tell myself, is for the story. <laughs> the first one is Tainted Grail. I finally got Wave 2 shipping, so I have all of the Tainted Grail stuff. And this is a game that plays very similar to Seventh Continent, but with more mechanisms on top of it. More character customizations. More, um, just more that you're, you're more puzzly than what Seventh Continent is. And I played through the demo, and I enjoyed the demo. And I have five boxes of this now, the base game and multiple expansions. And I want to play through it because, again, I've been told that the story is amazing. So I want to play this. I'm wondering if the story is going to be compelling enough for me because me personally, I don't know how much that pure story compels me to keep going back. If there's not something else there, including a group to share that story with. So I wonder if part of this is 
um, the theme of Tainted Grail is Arthurian legend, if I am correct. It is dark Arthurian. Yep. Yes. So this is a dark Arthurian legend. And um, when was the last time you read a book about King Arthur? Read never. Uh, I don't think I've ever read <laughs> a book, but I love I love that mythology in general. Um, okay. So I recognize all me, of the characters. It doesn't seem as much up your alley as like if this was based on a Brandon Sanderson book. So well, that's interesting too. So since you brought that up, because I love Brandon Sanderson books, but yet have I found any game based on his books that are compelling enough for me to come back to mechanically. So there's a Mistborn, I think it's called um, House Wars or something along those lines, that covers the Mistborn series. It looks utterly uninteresting to me. I have it. I have the collector's version of it. Steelheart is a superhero book of his, which I liked, but not enough to play it again. Because again, it's just like, eh, I know this story. The books did it better. I was going to say, because you know those stories, but what if it was written by Brandon Sanderson? If there was new unlockable content with terrible gameplay, but every time you played it, you got to learn more of this story by this author that you can't get any other way. Would you play it? Yes. Yes. A hundred percent yes. <laughs> if Sanderson I backed wrote, you into a corner. <laughs> yeah, if he wrote something in the Mistborn universe or well not I can't say universe because all of it. Mistborn um storyline or like the Way of King storyline and the book or the game itself was canon as you play through it, I can't say that I wouldn't want to play it. I would probably definitely play it. Probably. So maybe not if the mechanics are terrible, because as the chat has pointed out, like, it can't overcome, like, actively bad. But if they were just kind of meh, if they were fine, like, I played it once, it wasn't really, you know, my cup of tea, but it was fine. I think that the story can bring you back to that. But I think that, like, maybe something that feels, like, actively broken, this isn't fun anymore. Like, there's just no way that even a really compelling story can overcome that. Well, I mean, actually, your Sanderson example, to take you back to that, Call to Adventure um, has a, uh, I think it's the the Way of Kings expansion for it. And playing it with that, it's like, I recognize the characters, I recognize the magic system and stuff, but it's not compelling. It's, the game itself is pretty good. The story I like, but it's not going to keep me coming back and playing it over and over, right? Because there's no real story there, it's just based on a story. But I want to cover the mm-hmm. other two games that I have that I'm well, one of them is Etherfield and or Etherfields, I think it's Etherfields. Um, this one I went all in on for in the second time the pledge master opened up, or the pledge manager opened up. Um, I'm like, oh, people have been loving this game. I gotta just I have to get everything. So I went on, I backed everything, and then I started reading more reviews. And I have never seen a game more polarized than this game. half the reviewers are like this is the greatest game ever and the other half the reviewers are this was the greatest game ever until about hour 10 when it became nothing but repetitive and boring and i'm like crap i've backed this game all in i i want to like the game but i have to have a decent reason to go back mechanically to play this game which is what everyone's all the people that don't like it are are saying the mechanics are just tedious but everyone else is like but the story is really good so, so I don't know. I don't have the game yet. I don't know. Uh, 
The other one, though, I have that I think is going to win, and this is another Eric Lane game, and this is um, Bloodborne the board game. I hated Bloodborne the card game. It was such a bad game. Miserably horrible. Everything about that game is bad. And sorry for people who like it. Um, It's just a bad game. But Bloodborne the board game, so good. And it makes me feel like it's a Cthulhu Death May Die type of scenario system. But the way it works is there's three chapters. So you play chapter one, two, and three, and that's the full thing. So now you've played that little mini campaign. And the mechanisms on how you play and how your character develops are super compelling. So for that game, I think I'm just going to sit down and just play a whole bunch of it. If I can get Sadie to play it, it'll make it easier. But ultimately, I'm more than happy to play that game solo because the mechanisms there are so fun and the storylines are so interesting. Um, And I've never played the video game, so I don't have anything to compare it to, so I can't spoil it. can't be like, oh, this isn't really like the video game, so I don't know what's going on. Um, That, I think, is the winner, but I don't know why. And I've only played like two chapters so far, so I can't really say, but I I love what I'm seeing so far. And uh, would I go back? Would I play this game over and over if, it, if there were no story there? No. But since there is a story there and there are mechanics that I like, which is the idea of this game is very similar to Dune Imperium, where when you play a card, it tells you essentially what actions you can play. So it's a deck builder, a deck builder action selection game. Um, Dune Imperium is deck builder worker placement game, but where where you can place your worker or what actions you can select are based on the card you play, which to me is like a super interesting system. Like I can, I, I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I want to go play this game over and over and over again. And that's, I, I'm rambling because I just, now I'm just thinking about playing this game. I'm going to go set it up. I'll come back. So, you guys talk. So I have a question for you before you run away. <laughs> <laughs> um. Are there many games that you want to play over and over and over again that have no story element? Candyland. (laughs) (laughs) Fletcher's just on a Wikipedia of the worst games ever. Um, (laughs) That have no story to them that I want to go back and play over and over again. (sighs) Yes, but they're like dueling games. They're like head-to-head type of games where like, you know, Homeworlds, for the longest time, we just wanted to play that game over and over and over again. Um, I'm currently addicted to an online card game, um, Runes, or, uh, Runeterra, which is a League of Legends game, card game. Uh, Keyforge, obviously, played that over and over and over. Board game-wise, there are games that I would love to play, but I'm not compelled to keep bringing them out, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I think the story, though, th- keeps us coming back in a shorter time. Even like Charterstone, we played that game 12 times mm-hmm. in a row because we wanted to get to the end of the story. If there was no story there, there's no way we would have played that game 12 times in a row. So I feel like for you and for many gamers, part of the fun of a game is discovery. Yes. And you get that feeling of discovery from a new game, but you can get that feeling of discovery too from a story that you're learning from a game you're playing over and over and over again. So it just kind of adds to the replayability of this game. It it keeps the interest level there for these games that might not make it to the table as often anyway. I think it really does add value to the game. You know, they I've heard some complaints about the legacy games, although I think I hear it less and less now about you know, they're not as worth the money because you don't get as much replayability out of them. 
I, I think the counter argument has been made and somewhat successfully that if you play this game 12 times in a row, you've gotten your money's worth out of this game. How many of your other games that sit on your shelves? Like there are so many gamers out there who just have games that collect dust on their shelves. If you get 12 plays in a row out of a game and then you can, you know, say farewell game, like maybe that's enough for a lot of people. Eh, It's like some cost. Like you get your enjoyment out of the game or, or not. Like, I don't know if it really matters how many times you play the game. And that can be true. Um, you could play a game of Twilight Imperium, play one game, and have that be worth the you know $120 it took to buy the game. And honestly... Well, yeah, because you're only paying like $10 an hour at that point. Exactly. And, and not even <laughs> yeah. that, really. You're paying like $4 an hour. But <laughs> like, it doesn't take a bunch of repeated plays to enjoy a game like that. If you... But I, I 100% agree. If the story, and going back to the whole mechanical versus story, and the story is very light and eh, if, you, if that story was enough to keep you playing the game a half a dozen to a dozen times, it did its job. And Gloomhaven, sure, maybe the story is not as amazing as it could be, but it keeps people coming back and playing over and over and over in, in association with, in conjunction with the mechanics. And which makes it the most, you know, if you get into it, a lot of people have bought Gloomhaven for 100 to $140 and never played it yet. Go buy Jaws of the Line. You can play it by yourself. It's easy to onboard under that. But if you actually play Gloomhaven, it is a bargain. You're paying pennies an hour for your entertainment on that. I just, yeah. I, now if the mechanics are weak, I want the the story to be much better. I will say that for sure. If the mechanics are tedious, I want the story to be super compelling. Um, but and who knows when Netherfields comes in here, maybe the story will be worth it, and I'll just house rule the the game to be the game I want it to be, and still be able to follow the story along. I've done that with other games, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that because hey, I want to know the story, and if this <laughs> if I don't want to know the story and the game's not good, then you know I gave it away with random drawings on a podcast. That's why part of the reason I have a podcast is so I can get games away. <laughs> <laughs> well i feel like if the story is so good like i mean obviously the gameplay element will have to also be good otherwise like why even play the game like you could just read the story like you could just read the short story or the or the book you know what i mean like i don't know yeah. it seems like it, that's like a that, that borders on like a different type of entertainment almost at a certain level it's like oh the, but the story is so good it's like well then just watch a, a tv show like what you really like is tv or reading i, I don't know well, I so would Fletcher, say that's the difference click between... Click on that link I dropped in the chat a while ago. <laughs> no. <laughs> you no. should check this out. You should go back it on Kickstarter. Um, this is a Kickstarter I, I backed. I talked about it on Dice Tower Now. Um, and this is Alba, an open world adventure book. I saw Kickstarter and, like, and I noped out of it. But I'll look at it. <laughs> <laughs> you should look at it because it's not a very expensive one. And it is basically a full novel with a character sheet. So you, it's like half a step closer to game from a choose your own adventure book, but it has so much unlockable content and it has, you have the ability to go back to the beginning and make different choices and get different endings in a way that you, you don't, you know, have the like, I've got my fingers in four different pages and I'm choosing the right answer feel to it. It looks really cool. I'm not getting paid to say this. <laughs> um, I promise. Nobody I cares say, that much about my opinion, I don't think. <laughs> well, and, but, but 
it's a valid opinion. And I would say to directly address your concern, Fletcher, the reason for a game telling a story versus reading a book or watching a movie is the interactive nature of it. I can feel Mm -hmm. part of the story if I'm taking part in the story. If I'm just watching a movie or reading a book, I'm not part of that story. I'm a passive observer. And I think that that is the main difference. And that's that's what's compelling about these things. It's like, my story is different than your story, even though we went through the same story. And that's neat, because we can compare that without, you know, just calling it a book club. Although, that just made me think, literally at this point right now, why don't people do that? Why don't people play Pandemic Legacy Season 1 as a book club game, or as a story game club <laughs> game, and then come away and, like, talk about it? Like, that seems like a really cool idea. We should start doing that. I might trademark it. I don't know how I would do that. But it just seems like a really good idea. Yeah, you figure it out and let us know how it works. And then we'll talk about if we are participating (laughs) or not. (laughs) All right. Well, that is a long episode about stories versus mechanics. And I don't even know if we talked about that. But we did. I think we did. We talked about stories and mechanics regardless. Um, Next week, we will be drawing two names for our 2021 giveaway. Uh, The first person who gets back to me will get first choice. The second person who gets back to me will get second choice of the games that are currently on the list that you can find in the show notes. If you are a podcaster, viewer, listener thingy that doesn't show our show notes, um, A, get a new one. But B, you can always go to the website too, (laughs) tabletopgametalk.com. And the most recent episode is always on the top. Um, And on that note... I am going to hand this over to Kitty and Fletcher, and then we will talk briefly about our D&D game right after that. Um, so before we move on, Oh, Chris, before we move on, though. <laughs> what is the email address that people are emailing to enter oh. this contest? You keep saying, email me, and not saying an email address. And every single email we have received is like, I don't know if this is the right place to email. So I would not say every single email. We've had a couple. Our email address is in the outro. Literally, is about, every single email. Yeah. Literally every single every week single it's one. in there. Email us at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Uh, you can also find that, again, in the show notes. So if you go to our website, you'll see feedback at tabletop.com. I think the confusion is, is this feedback or is this where we should enter the contest? Yes. Everything goes to the same place. So if you send it to feedback, I'll get it and you will be entered. No worries. But thank you, Kitty, for bringing that up because we did have a couple of questions about that. <laughs> so now... Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. If you'd like to follow us on social media, the links for Facebook and Twitter are in our show notes. If you want to watch us record live, you can find a link for that in our show notes too. Comments or questions? Email us at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Hosting fees and giveaways are sponsored by our patrons. If you'd like to be one of these wonderful people, you can find out how by visiting our website, tabletopgametalk.com and clicking the support us link. And there's a link in the show notes too. Finally, a huge thank you to our current patrons, Adam Harrison, Miles City Cat Clark, The Gift of Games, Jason Strong, John Lewis, Joe Hoover, Jeremy Fisher, Terrence Mintler, Sean Peck, Christopher Dong, Jaren, Jennifer Ingelbrecht. As soon as my mouth starts working again, I will continue reading <laughs> names. Let me reboot real quick. And okay, I should be good to go. Brian Arnold, Michael Ganikowski, David Sellers, David Radke, Jason Marks, Anne Reynolds, Christopher Letko, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verhulst, Joe Rackstad, Witherman Keith, Paul Raymer, Jimothy, Ben Gary, Matthew Droke, David Rank, Jerry Wong, C. Marie, Justin Willard, Jason Rodney, Sydney Lume, Eric Huffman, Hoffman, sorry, Eric Hoffman, Adrian Dong, Faz Lintham, Eric Slander, Glenn Cotter, John Williams, Sir Silly, Andrew Fayesh, Kamal Berth, Peter Fleming, 
Gary Bunker, Sahara Wentworth, Jim Conrad, Sean P. Kelly, Mike Smith, Caleb O'Brien, Don Gilstrap, Aaron Moore, Ron Nelson, Agnes Toth, Charles Pearson, Jesse Wheeler, and Ronald Roy. This keeps getting longer every week. (laughs) It does, which is great. So thank you all for making this list longer and longer. (laughs) And torturing Fletcher is one of my greatest, you know, it's it's just what I love doing on Monday night. (laughs) 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 Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. All right, so this week, let's see. You guys made it to level five eventually. No, level six, right? We leveled up. I don't remember anymore. At least well, at apparently, Miss Lightning Steve. I don't see him in the list, though. Um, that's because I copied and pasted. And so we will have to fix that. And, and Lightning, Lightning Steve. Steve. <laughs> 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 oh, all right. I have one question for you guys regarding our D&D campaign. So Fletcher's character, um, Sylvester, was teleported into a pocket dimension where he had three questions to a mysterious wizard dude sitting on a throne. Um, Do you, well, first of all, do you remember the questions you asked? And second, do you wish you asked different questions? Uh, I feel like we're going to wish we had asked different questions at some point, but I don't have the, like, knowledge yet to know how badly we fudge that yeah um i feel like it was a crapshoot like no matter what so it was we had three questions that we could ask and the setup was um the i guess the i don't know the character that i was asking these questions he said he'll tell the truth on two of them and he will lie on another one but we won't know so the questions that i asked i think was like why is tabby compelled to like go into this dungeon and adventure around um the next one was where is the nearest like portal gate because apparently there's these portal gates that are set up so you can easily transport in and out of the dungeon um, but apparently i wasn't specific enough and i just said like gate and he told us where it like not like literally like a, a, a swinging fence gate but like a portal gate that goes somewhere else he told us where that is but like we can't even use it yet we don't even know what it does and then what was my last question uh oh what is the most valuable thing in the dungeon and he said the most valuable thing (laughs) was his time um and if you want his time you have to go to the bottom of the dungeon to be able to like talk to him so i feel like it was one of those answers like the most valuable thing is the friendships you make on the way (laughs) i know like it's not the destination it's the journey (laughs) no i wanted i should have just asked like what is worth the most gold and how do i get it right (laughs) It's like, great, well, we're going to go to the bottom anyway and talk to you. So, great, that was a wasted question. We should have just asked, like, where do you keep your plus three magical weapons or something? (laughs) Yeah, super specific. (laughs) We should have gotten, yeah, What's the best weapon for Sylvester and where is it located and how can I I get it? (laughs) I think, I was was very interested because, so we're running Dungeon of the Mad Mage. And for the most part, the dungeons themselves are as written. And three questions is a lot of information, especially for a group that has a lot of mysteries. And you didn't ask any questions. I mean, you asked the tabby question, um, but you didn't ask anything follow up to it. 
I don't think the questions were bad. I was just really surprised because as a DM, you oftentimes try to anticipate what your players are going to ask or do or whatever. And I've just, you just reinforce the fact that, yeah, you should never do that. As a DM, never try to anticipate what your players are going to do because they're never going to do what you think they're going to do. So I was just curious what was, I mean, the rest of it was like fighting giants and orcs and goblins and bugbears or whatever. But uh, that would, that to me kind of stuck out as like, huh. That could have gone a lot of different ways. It was very interesting to me. But yeah. you had a level out of it. And you made it down to the <laughs> next level of the dungeon. Level two. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we will talk to you next week. <laughs>